to our 10th episode of America the Bilingual, and I am delighted to introduce my partner in creating all of our episodes of America the Bilingual, the man behind the scenes, the man making our audio magic, our producer, Fernando Hernandez. That would be me. That, that would be you. So, uh, Fernando, um, explain some of your background, if you will. Please explain it. Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for pronouncing my name appropriately. Well, really? That, that's a compliment. Now, say it correctly, if you <laughs> it's will. It's Fernando Hernandez. I yeah. wish I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm a radio producer. I've been doing this for almost 10 years now. I've been working at several radio stations in Mexico. I was born in Guadalajara. I'm 31 years old, and I'm, I'm very proud to say that I'm fully bilingual. You are fully fully bilingual, and, and that's important for today's episode. Yeah. On the joy of learning Spanish. So it's the joy of learning Spanish and the whole idea of we being together is because of your second career, right? My second career, yeah. And so I am a retired businessman. It still causes me pause to say the word retired, but I have retired from my career as a um, heading up a company that my wife and I started about 30 years ago called Levenger. And um, I retired a couple years ago. And by rights, I should be doing something normal, like improving my golf game. Um, but the truth is, I don't play golf. And about 10 years ago now, I started, about 10 years ago, I started studying Spanish. And I'm a little embarrassed to say that too because I should be way farther ahead in my Spanish than I am and we'll we'll get to my excuses in a moment but um, when I when I started studying Spanish um, and I would talk to people I'd mention that and people would say the oddest things to me at least I thought they were odd like well why bother the whole world speaks English or why bother technology is going to make language learning obsolete we'll just have things in our ears from google and we'll be able to hear any language and speak any language blah 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 and you know uh, fernando i wanted to argue with them because I, I it didn't seem right to me but i didn't really know how so i started reading books on bilingualism and and language and then i got hooked at how um peculiar our point in history is that this great nation of ours this nation of immigrants could be so massively monolingual, something like 75% monolingual. And so I, uh, I decided to go sc to school on this subject and um, to see if I might um, help do something about that. So I spent a year at Harvard at a program there, and um, I actually took Spanish with undergraduates there, intermediate Spanish, which was mortifyingly... Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, what were the ages of these of these students? Like twenty five. What was what? The ages. Oh well, they were all um, freshmen and sophomores, and uh, then there was a sixty year old guy in their midst, and they were very kind to me. And uh, I think I was the thirteenth student, and uh, but we'll do an episode on that because it was kind of hilarious, actually, and uh, and illustrative too about how uh, language teaching in college has improved over the years since I was in college. Um, 
anyhow, I did a, another year at uh, Stanford studying uh, bilingualism, and I had the opportunity at both uh, fine universities to interview a lot of scholars, uh, linguists, and language teachers. And I interviewed, at this point, hundreds of my fellow Americans about what I call their language biographies. And um, it came to learn to some fascinating stories, some of which we've been sharing in America the Bilingual. So this is a really special episode, our 10th episode. Our 10th episode. And we've, we've covered some serious topics in the past, like our, the, the episode number nine, which we just finished up, called Ed Delatore Doesn't Speak Spanish, is about the, the serious problem of uh, language loss in America. Uh, America has been called the place where languages go to die. And uh, Fernando, I want to tell you a story about one of my eureka moments in Spanish, one of my epiphanies in Spanish, which happened in Walmart, believe it or not. Of all places. <laughs> and uh, Walmart is one of the stores that, uh, or some of their stores anyway, are bilingual. And uh, I went to this Walmart in Carson City, Nevada, where my mom was living. And It happened to be one of the bilingual Walmarts, and I was just kind of wandering around. I forgot what I was there for, but I was wandering around reading all the signs in Spanish as kind of a little exercise and, and um, doing the translation in my head, trying not to look at the English, until I saw something in one of the food aisles, and I saw the words, palomitos de maíz. Palomitas de maíz. De maíz. And, And I didn't know what that meant, but I, I started sorting it out. So uh, I did know the word paloma is, is the word for dove yeah. in Spanish. I think maybe in Italian as well, paloma, like paloma, Picasso. And uh, so itas. Palomitas. Palomitas, thank you. Palomitas. So little doves uh, de, de maíz. And so, okay, little doves of corn. So I got that and I said, well... What could that be? Was it like Fritos or something or, or uh, tortilla chips? So I'm walking down this aisle and there's rice and dried beans and then I come upon it. It's popcorn. And I just about <laughs> came. I was so amazed because until that point in my life, uh, I never gave a second thought to the word popcorn. But at that moment, I realized, oh, my gosh, English, the English word popcorn is describing what it sounds like, whereas the Spanish word, uh, palomitos de maíz, uh, describes what it looks like. And who's to say what is what is better? I mean, arguably, we make more use of our eyes than we do our ears. So um, it was just a, a real epiphany for me where I, where I stepped out of my shoes and realized that the world could be a very different place. You make palomitas de maíz that day? <laughs> I don't know if we made any palomitos. Now, in Spanish, do you always say palomitos de maíz, or how do you use the word? We just say palomitas. Let's buy some palomitas. palomitas. Compro, vamos a comprar unas palomitas. That's it. Uh-huh. Yeah, we don't, we don't use the de maíz. You just say, let's make some little doves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
So here's another one. Let's talk about the concept of time a little bit. Okay. And I was I was reading a Spanish uh, novel. I think it was Cien Años de Soledad, A Hundred Years of Solitude. Cien Años de Soledad. Yeah. yeah Gabriel García Gabriel Marquez. García Marquez. And I was I was slogging my way through that, and I and I try to read the Spanish first, and then the English, and the, and then the Spanish again. But anyway, I, I came across the, the term uh, two weeks in the English version, and then I'm in the Spanish version. It says 15 days. And I said, what? What? That's got to be a mistake. What do you mean 15 days? Two weeks. Everybody knows two weeks is 14 days. It's two weeks. What's, what's, what's the issue here? So what is, can you explain what's going on there? Look, my, my, I'm going to make like this uh, bold theory. It's that I don't know exactly how far back this dates to, but the 15 day thing, instead of saying two weeks or 14 days, has to do with the payday, the quincena. The payday. Yeah. So in Mexico, it's common for workers to be paid every two weeks, but somehow we break the month in, we assume that every month is, I don't know, somehow 30 days on average. And we say, okay, it's divided mm -hmm. into, into quincenas, right? So every quincena, mm -hmm. it's payday. And we put a lot of, we love that day because it's, you know, it's payday. And uh -huh. it's, it's the most glorious day for everyday workers. You're on top of the world and then goes downhill until the next quincena so comes. <laughs> okay, so, um, you know, but some of my favorite parts of learning Spanish, some of my favorite discoveries have been the dichos, the sayings, the proverbs in, in Spanish. And, and um, you know, I guess all Americans know one Spanish saying, which is uh, mi casa es su casa, or mi casa es tu casa, uh, my house is your house. So all Americans, I think, know that. And um, it's, it's, uh, it's easy, and uh, we use the word casa and casita quite frequently in English. Okay, but here's an example where I would, I would say, okay, uh, the Spanish version um, is much better than the English version. And the English version, the early bird gets the worm. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the Spanish version, I'm not sure I have this right. El que madruga, Dios le ayuda. Al que madruga, Dios le ayuda. And that means he who gets up early, God helps. Is that right? Yeah. Now, between you and me, I'd rather have God's help than a worm. <laughs> but... <laughs> That's, I, I guess maybe I'd feel differently if I were a bird, but um, uh, anyhow, I, I have to hand it to the Spanish version. Yes. And um, there's another one I love that also I don't know of an English equivalent, which is Agua que no has de beber, déjala correr. Agua que no has de beber, déjala correr. And uh, if I, if I, the literal translation is that Water that you're not going to drink, let it run. Is that about right? Yeah, most definitely. But it really means, oh, and here is where you had a conversation with one of our good friends, Mario Bravo. That's right. And who's also from Mexico. Agua que no has de beber, déjala correr. There are opportunities that you will not be able to grasp, so let them run. Someone else will might take them. If you're not able to take this opportunity, 
someone else will. Our, but the direct translation is the water that you're not going to drink, let it be, let it go, let it go through. Someone else will benefit from that. It's like generosity. Yes, don't try to take everything. There's always uh, others uh, that need to benefit from these ideas or from these uh, resources. So that's our very good friend Mario Bravo. Do you want to give us a little context on how this conversation took place? Or you want me to read? Um, Mario um, and I were in the Stanford program together and uh, became good friends. He, uh, like yourself, is from Mexico. He's a lover of... Uh, wisdom and culture uh, from the around the world, but he's, he's particularly strong with um, uh, Spanish dichos. Yeah, and we started talking about dichos, and I love how he his definition of dichos um, came to be when I asked him about that. Well, I mean, because they really reflect the culture of a region and a place. I mean, we were discussing when would one be able to say that they are able to speak a language? And one of the ways in which we discuss could be a metric would be once you understand their sayings, the deepness of their sayings, uh, we could say that we are already uh, in certain level of knowledge of that uh, culture of, and of that language itself. What did Steve say? Uh, he reflected a little bit and he asked me, could you tell me one saying and we'll try to go from there and see if I can uh, understand what you're trying to say. And I said, yes, of course, let's think of one. So we thought, uh, con dinero baila el perro. Oh, I love, I love his uh, con dinero baila el perro. Con dinero baila el perro means that it is well known in every culture, but particularly in ours, that with money, the dog dances. Meaning, uh, if you have money, everything will happen. Everything will fall in place at some point or the other. Uh, things will be able to uh, take shape and get carried out. It's not necessarily true, but it's a way of saying that uh, if you have the resources, the financial resources, very likely you will get your way. It just makes me sm a smile. I, l I love the uh, con dinero baila el perro. Uh, with money, the dog dances. And uh, it, it uh, is such a playful way of saying a, um, an important truth in the world. And, th and then he went on a little bit uh, further down. And, and again, if they reflect more uh, a deep understanding of uh, a situation that evolves and that is transmitted over generations and becomes just part of the popular culture, the folkloric culture. It doesn't necessarily uh, have a tremendous uh, depthness or be the right thing to say, but it just becomes part of the culture. So with con dinero baile el perro, it's understood well. If you have money, everything will happen, one way or the other. And of course, it, it deals very much in, in the way that the corruption and uh, power of certain elites in the region manage to get their things done, right? Uh, because they have the dinero, they ha and therefore the dog dances. <laughs> yeah, there's some, there's some fascination uh, that these sayings have, these dichos have in, in person, that, and probably that's why they are so catchy. Um, and I was thinking about the rhyming. It's, you see, con dinero baila el perro. There's a certain mus musicality to it. And it's very difficult to translate them. When you translate them, not only they don't mean the same thing, 
they don't have the, the cultural backing that they have in another place, but also they're very difficult to make them rhyme. It's extremely difficult, almost impossible. Uh, there's another one that says, Árbol que nace torcido, jamás su troco endereza. So this uh, means that uh, bad conducts are not easy to uh, get rid of. So if you are a tree and you grow crooked, you will never be able to correct your position. Again, it's not something that we would agree if we uh, distilled it and disaggregated it, but that's a, a way of saying, particularly of older people, árbol que crece torcido, jamás su tronco edereza. If you go crooked from the very beginning, we will never be able to straighten you up. Hard to translate and hard to make it rhyme. So, Steve, do you remember any sayings from your grandmother? Um, <laughs> well, what I remember my grandmother saying is she would follow me around her house turning off the lights and she would say, no sense in paying Niagara Mohawk. Now, that is not an American <laughs> saying. What's uh, that? This was in upstate New York, and Niagara Mohawk was the name of the power company. But she was a frugal uh, woman who lived through the uh, Depression. So that's the saying I remember my grandmother uh, saying. But uh, I, I know uh, Mario uh, had a very uh, uh, wise grandmother, and, and uh, she passed on some important wisdom to him. Yeah, my grandma was great. She always uh, lived with us, uh, uh, and uh, she was always a great source of inspiration and of learning, and, and learning how to behave in society. And of course, she was uh, an older person, and I was a teenager in Mexico City, and uh, sometimes I didn't agree with what she had to say, but I always took it as coming from my grandma, so it, there has to be something good in it. And she always uh, explained to us things through rhymes, through versos, through proverbios. All of these are variations of a saying, right? They, some of them are more academic and more intellectual. Some are very uh, popular and folkloric. But they all have this meaning. Say it through words and make it stick. I think that that's another thing. These are popular uh, uh, ideas that stick through the rhymes. Um, Camarón que se duerme se lo lleva a la corriente. That's one of her favorites. That was one of the, she would say, if you're not doing your homework, uh, the, the stream will take you away. If you fall asleep, the water will wash you away. No? Camarón de la, but, and, and literally it means a shrimp that falls asleep, the stream will carry it away. But uh, it meant many things. You have to keep working. You have to keep uh, thinking, alive, uh, contribute. Do not fall asleep because the water will take you away. And there's another thing that I've been finding really fascinating about ditches is like their intrinsic relationship to nature. And I don't know if you agree with this, Steve. Sure, a lot of them do. And, and I think it's important to remember that that these dichos have been around for centuries and were passed on when most people were not literate. So it was a, uh, an important way to pass on wisdom and knowledge uh, to people before they had the benefit of reading books. And um, I think that's... Uh, so they, it, they, they tend to be short, they tend to rhyme, they tend to be memorable, and um, which makes us fall in love with them all over again every generation. You know, I consider us very lucky in the United States that Spanish is our 
second language and the most studied language. Um, for one thing, it is second only to Chinese in the number of first language speakers. Uh, according to Ethnologue, which is our source for all things linguistic, there are almost 1.3 billion Chinese speakers, uh, speakers of Chinese as their first language. And uh, Sp Spanish is in the number two position with something like 437 million people speaking Spanish as a, a first language in 31 countries. English is in the third spot with 372 uh, million people speaking English as a first language. And uh, by the way, number four is Arabic with 295 million. So for Americans who are learning Spanish, there are just a, a whole bunch of people that you can uh, speak with uh, in their first language, in their native language. And um, that's uh, kind of the numerical side of things. Of course, uh, there are so many reasons to enjoy learning Spanish from its deep uh, literature. You know, Don Quixote was, was written about the same time Shakespeare was writing his plays. And um, so, so much uh, great literature, great movies, great music. Um, so there are an infinite number of, of joys that are available to uh, English-speaking Americans who will um, go on the adventure of learning Spanish. And, um, you know, as, as few other facts here, um, or factoids, maybe, uh, Fernando, uh, there's a, a quote from Thomas Jefferson. He was writing to his future son-in-law and advising him to learn French, of course, but also Spanish, saying that uh, our connection with Spain is already important and will become daily more so. And then uh, in more recent history, there's a wonderful uh, quotation from um, Obama, Barack Obama, when he was running for president. I agree that immigrants should learn English. I agree with that. But, but understand this. Instead of worrying about whether uh, immigrants can learn English, they'll learn English. You need to make sure your child can speak Spanish. You should be thinking about how can your child become bilingual. We should have every child speaking more than one language. It's a wonderful uh, quotation for uh, America the bilingual, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I also remember one of the professors I interviewed at Stanford was a, is, is a young uh, assistant professor um, of anthropology and linguistics by the name of Jonathan Rosa, a very um, intelligent uh, uh, young man who was, uh, I interviewed him for over an hour and he spoke about a lot of um, rather complex topics in the, to in the subjects of racism and linguistics and so forth but near the end of the interview I asked him well does he think that uh, Americans should learn Spanish and without equivocating he said well yes because we live in the Americas and I was so taken with his answer because we live in the Americas and it was the first time that I thought oh we live in the Americas we are we are a people of, of a region yep the uh, North America and Central America and South America we are in the Americans, and Spanish is one of the languages that, that, of course, we should know to speak to our, our fellow Americans in that broader sense.
you know, Fernando, for me, it's it's been um, such a rewarding experience to, at this stage of my life, learn Spanish, because I, I grew up in San Diego, and I was uh, exposed with Spanish all around, and um, and yet I realized I didn't understand the full meaning of what was all around me. I mean, sure, I understood a few words. I grew up in the town of La Mesa, which is a suburb of Cala, of San Diego, so I knew that meant the table. And, of course, uh, everyone knows that uh, Los Angeles, Los Angeles, means uh, the angels. But um, as I started learning Spanish, I, I started learning the the names or the meaning of all these towns in, in California and Texas. Uh, Las Colinas is the hills. Uh, Tiburon the shark, El Cajon, which is a neighboring town to La Mesa. Didn't really know what that meant. I guess that's a drawer. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Uh, or a little a, a little box. And I guess it was named after the Box Canyon that uh, El Cajon was originally. Um, and so many of them. Mission Viejo, Old Mission, uh, the town of Merced, Mercy, or, or Favor. And e- even something as simple as uh, San Diego itself. Uh, St. Diego, and a town, uh, Santa Barbara, Holy Barbara, uh, Santa. So, um, you know, we use the words, uh, a friend of mine in the, in the Bay Area there in Palo Alto lived there for 30 years, and, and we were at, e- eating dinner at a restaurant on uh, uh, Almeida de las Pulgas, and it was called the Flea Street Cafe, and I said, well, it's named after the street, and he looked at me kind of crazy. He says, what do you mean? I says, well, it's, uh, you know, the Avenue of the Fleas. And, and he says, oh, my gosh. I've, learned here, I've lived here 30 years, and I never knew what that meant. Uh, yeah, and, and so, you know, for me, it, it, re, it kind of makes me think, have you ever been in a theater, in a, uh, a stage theater, that is, and you're sitting in the audience waiting for the show to start, and you think the curtain is closed, but actually a light comes on very gradually on stage and then the set materializes and you realize all the time you've been just looking through a, a scrim. You've been looking through something that, that seemed uh, black and opaque simply because there was no light on behind it. And uh, to me, that's uh, what it has seemed to learn Spanish. And I actually get emotional about it, just thinking about it, because I lived and I grew up among all this world that was out there in front of my eyes, and yet I wasn't seeing it. And and now at this stage of my life, I'm I'm finally um, learning enough Spanish to see what was there all the time. It's um, it's a, it's been a long journey, and I think that probably you know this already but when one wants to learn a second language or a third or a fourth or a five or a fifth um it's not like the main point of learning another language is tasting it as you speak it it's um it's one of the realizations that i've got when uh when I started like mastering English and and but the realization that I'm getting now it's that 
I approach it as something that has to taste. So every word, it's like tasting something. Hmm. That's such a, a good way of putting it. And you never stop tasting it. So that's the wonderful part about it. And there's always new tastes. And I, and I think entering, uh, falling in love with another language, your next language, gives you a whole world of, of new tastes that um, are different from your, your first language and your first world. Yeah, totally. Something so, that never ends. So I, I would say to all of our listeners who are learning Spanish, um, what a wonderful journey, Buen Viaje. Um, and to whatever language you're learning. And, it, you know, one of the curious things I've discovered while interviewing so many people about their language biographies um, is that all the polyglots I've interviewed, these are people who speak five or more languages, they all want to learn the next one. <laughs> they are all so excited about learning whatever their sixth language is or seventh language. And I just look at them with this wonderment and I say, my gosh, isn't, aren't six languages enough or aren't nine languages enough? And apparently the answer is no, that, that um, it's, uh, it just gives you a taste, as you say, for what life can be. The America the Bilingual podcast is part of the Lead with Languages campaign of ACTFUL, the American Council on the Teaching of Foreign Languages. Check out our episode notes at americathebilingual.com. You'll find the dichos, or sayings, mentioned in this episode, as well as some photos and links to the facts and figures we've mentioned. This episode was hosted by me, Steve Levine, and our producer, Fernando Hernandez, who also does sound design and mixing. Associate producer is Becky Rankin. Editorial consultant is Maya Thomas. Editorial and brand director, Mim Harrison. Graphic arts by Carlos Plaza Design Studio. Music in this episode with a Creative Commons attribution share-alike license by Kumiko, Kevin McLeod, Francisco Panilla, and Lee Rosvere. Thanks for listening. For America the Bilingual, this is Steve Levine.